This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Podcast in the Times. I'm Matt Chorley. Are you a bemoaner, a UKIPper or a Keith Vaz fan? If so, keep listening. But first, more from the bizarre world of you, the podcast listeners. After a review on iTunes suggested that this was just a lefty love-in, Robert JW12 has posted that there is an unsatisfying right-wing consensus, which I think means we're probably getting things about right. Johnny FG rightly praises the excellent production values for which we must thank David Maguire, twiddling the knobs behind the glass in the studio. PJ04 says the podcast is always highly informative and entertaining, a highlight of the listening week, but he slightly takes the edge of it by adding, was that okay, Matt? Warwick Hunt very kindly says the show is balanced, but continues to peddle this nonsense from last week that I am insufferably posh. And finally, Sandy Benappi seems to have totally misunderstood last week's episode of the podcast with his review, where he puts, I enjoy the show, but it was ruined for me when Matt Chorley's stallion raped my gay donkey. Hard to enjoy it as much now. Um, Against my better judgment, I suppose I should ask you to keep them coming. Right, on with the show now, though. And this week I'm joined by Paul Stevenson, a former Tory spin doctor who became spokesman for Vote Leave on the coming shift in politics. Suzanne Evans, one of the contenders to become UKIP leader, questions the rapid comeback of Keith Vaz. But first, Sam Coates on what's not going on in Westminster. After 10 years in Westminster, you can never go too far wrong with the motto, never overestimate the spine of an MP. Oversensitive, vain, stubbornly unable to see the bigger picture, most MPs seem to spend a lot of time rather inactive, appear more cowed by the small minority of MPs who are more strident and busy. There are exceptions, Douglas Carswell, Dominic Raab, Stella Creasy, Tom Watson, Steve McPartland, who clearly get things done and make things change. But the vast majority of MPs, well, frankly, it's hard to hold them in particularly high esteem. Yesterday, a couple of Tories were saying, rather approvingly, that basically any difficult parliamentary business had been cancelled for the rest of the autumn, and there are lots more recess days than they're expecting, calling it Williamson's Week after the new Chief Whip, Gavin Williamson, who's given them all a bit more holiday than they're expecting. Is there any way to stop the rot? Well, I'm glad that, as always, you're just sitting on the fence now and not saying what you uh, what you really think. I mean, I mean, I'm at the risk of consensus breaking. I'm inclined to agree with you because I think you and I have been in Westminster for about the same length of time, and there does seem to be a real sense at the moment of not a huge amount going on, and quite a lot of people being quite pleased that there's not a huge amount going on. Yeah, take the Labour Party. Um, no, go on, take it exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you look at the vast majority of the, uh, of Labour MPs, they're 
primary preoccupation to me, and I haven't spoken to all of them, but I've spoken to quite a lot of them, is the predicament of the party of, of their party at the moment. Uh, the fact that it's very hard to get out of the difficult situation they're in with Jeremy Corbyn and how, frankly, everything they're facing is just a little bit too tricky and tricksy. And this leads them broadly to conclude that there's not a great deal that they can do. I beg to differ. There is an entire government to be held to account. There is change on a scale that we have not seen in this country since probably the Second World War or or possibly Thatcher's Thatcher's administration. There is a lot to do and sitting with warming white wine in the strangers bar complaining is not the best way to do it. On the Tory side, you've got an agonisingly small majority. Uh, Went down to 11 this week. And that means that they would rather... uh, the, The approach of Theresa May's Downing Street seems to be to sort of denude parliament to try and avoid difficult issues going before there so there's not a lot of sort of obvious things to do in 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 westminster there's not an obvious big pieces of legislation and mps are rather using that this time to kind of go off and do their their own things but nothing that you could in any way call transformative there is a sort of cross-party consensus against action and inertia at this point of bluntly massive national choices the debate on brexit for example is largely a sort of symbolic one about the single market which doesn't reflect what's actually going on inside government um i'd wish that a few more mps would get a grip get hold of the debate and run with it a little bit more skillfully than they're doing at the moment paul oversensitive vain and stubbornly unable to see the bigger picture says sam is that is that your experience of working up close and personal with mps and cabinet ministers <laughs> it's actually not I think that most people in politics come into it for the right reasons. I don't disagree there are some that are better at it than others. Would you want a job where on Saturdays you have to go to the local village fair or go judge a dog beauty contest or what have you? Personally, I wouldn't. I've worked on local papers. You had to do all that. I even had to dress up as a bear once. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wouldn't want that job either. But I think there is an element of truth in what Sam's saying. Look, if you look at the Labour collapse in Scotland, there's a whole bunch of people there who don't have a machine on the ground, who have not campaigned for years, and have taken voters for granted. They have rightly been booted out of office. I actually think that uh, if I was a Labour MP in, in, in the north of England now, I'd be spending most of my time in the constituency rather than what, doing what Sam wants in Parliament, or maybe a mix of the two, and trying to reconnect with working class voters. I actually think part of the problem now is that Labour is not only turning its back on working class leave voters but also working class remain voters who don't want just to rerun the old battles i'll give you one example during the campaign that me and suzanne fought and won on the membership of the eu we had a load of mps who were very very energetic who wanted to be in charge of strategy and wanted to basically run the campaign the number of people that actually went out and knocked on doors and did what we really needed them to do was to build an activist network go and knock on doors and help and find out how people were going to vote and tell it to us so we could then target all of our resources the most efficiently. I think Douglas Carswell did about 500% more than anybody else, and most of the people on our campaign committee didn't do very much of that, I'm afraid. And that just shows that there's that different MPs are good at different things, but I don't think enough of them are necessarily doing what they should be doing, which is speaking to ordinary people day and day out. But that's probably the, the, the clamour to try and be in charge of strategy and sort of chair meetings, that, that speaks to the vain, the vanity that, that Sam was talking about, isn't it? Your words, not mine. <laughs> we'll leave that hanging no, in the no, other. Note the non-denial. <laughs> Once a spokesman, always a spokesman. Um, Suzanne, what, what do you make of this? You've been, I've seen you around Westminster quite a lot in the last few weeks. You're running to be UKIP leader, which we'll come on to in a bit. But you, you're, you, I've seen you sitting in Portcullis House. What do you make of the uh, <laughs> the MPs milling around? Well, as, as Paul says, I think most MPs go into Parliament for the right reason. We go into politics because we want to make our difference. But it is quite shocking, I think, how, how quickly some people forget that that's what 
the job that they're supposed to do. And I had to laugh at Sam's opening statement, you know, never underestimate the spine of an MP. Never I'm overestimate. 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 Well, <laughs> never, never underestimate. Well, yeah, quite. You know, my experience of being in politics is I'm afraid there are an awful lot of wimps in politics. When their back's against the wall, when push comes to shove, when you should come out fighting for your country and your constituents, instead they kowtow to what the whips want and they capitulate. And until we can change our political system, this is going to continue to happen. So I reckon there's lots of things we can do. You know, we need electoral reform get rid of these safe seats that's half the problem as Paul said if you've got a safe seat for life you really can stop trying you don't have to bother we had a PR system proportional representation that could change I'm all We'd in favour to also the happy coincidence for you we'd end up with more UKIP MPs we would absolutely end up with more <laughs> UKIP MPs which again would shake things up quite nicely you know things like um, proper recall not the fudge that we've got at the moment uh, where MPs decide on whether or not other MPs have behaved it should be the constituents that hold MPs to account and decide whether or not they've broken the rules they pledged to uh, the the things they pledged to fight for when they were elected let's have a system where it's possible for constituents to sack their MP and things like open primaries as well you know we have this phenomena when uh, the kind of um officers of the parties are plummeted into safe seats having done their time in office. No, a lot of MPs today don't have a local link with their constituency. If we had open primaries where the people of that constituency could choose their candidate, again, they'd be more on their mettle. Um, We've got a problem. Politicians account to the whips. They're more frightened of the whips than they are of their own constituents. Until that changes, we're still going to have this problem. Sam? I think think that's a very good account of some of the things that could be done. But I'm not sure we even need to do some of those because ultimately we are in a situation where a small number of backbench MPs have this government completely over a barrel. I think the most depressing thing listening to MPs whinge is the fact that they don't appear to realise that because of this government's small majority... They can get their way. Never before has it been as possible. There are a few people in Parliament who I talk to who absolutely recognise this, that they need just a handful of MPs and they can back this government into the corner and secure change. And all it requires is an ability to organise, an ability to smartly smell the wind and work out what way a few of your colleagues are going, and and an ability to get a few newspapers on side to, to sort of back you in some of the campaigns for change that you're trying to do. It has never been easier as the government faces massive tasks. It doesn't want to be dealing with middle fright problems. It's probably going to give way on key campaigns. And all these people need to do is to get their, insert word here, in gear. I sense a desperate plea for more stories for the deputy <laughs> political editor of the times here more rebellions more front page splashes about rousing parliament look i think i do think that there is a reasonable point here that you've actually just had a bunch of mps some of whom are very loyal some who had been happy to be disloyal for a number of years have the mother all fights with the leader of their party which has led to him being sacked right so most of those people now felt that they did the right thing but they are a little bit bruised by it and they are pointed out by their colleagues and seem to be disloyal. So I think the system can work, is what I'm saying. But I think also for many of those people, they think, right, let's take stock and see how things go. And they're broadly happy with where Theresa May is going. So a lot of people don't want to rock the boat now. And frankly, if you care about the future of the Conservative Party, more than perhaps I do, but if you care about the future Conservative Party, you want to show that it can govern in the interest of everyone. And if you're constantly having rebellions and fights all the time, then that's not good for re-election, however terrible Labour might be. Paul, just reflecting on your time as a special advisor, you were in several departments. You were uh, health and transport. Health and transport. Um, 
one of the striking things of the Theresa May era is the sort of cold, dead hand of number 10. It, you know, ministers are being told not to do anything, don't commit any news. Uh, one minister I spoke to last week said the message was just shut up and failing that F off and die. That was a sort of message coming out of number 10. You have an extraordinary situation of uh, journalists can't even speak to ministers, the ones who will have lunch with you. They want to send along a press officer to sit in to make sure that no news is even committed over the starters. Do you think that A, this is a good idea, and B, is it sustainable? So I'm, I'm quite surprised that there isn't as much news as there normally is. I get that there's a new government, but I worked in a brand new government in 2010 and we had loads of stuff to do. When I went to the Department of Health, most of my job was trying to stop eight stories a day appearing or at least trying to order them into some sort of rational order. So, and actually I got to know my new business partner and me because he was working number 10 doing the grid and we would argue every day about what we could do and what we couldn't do. And I was trying to force stuff out every single day. So, look, I think it is a good thing that they, that they are trying to move away from government by press release. But every government is a reaction to its predecessor, and you can sometimes overcook that. But there's no doubt that, you know, I, as a press officer, I always try to feed the beast, people like Sam Coates, every day, give them something <laughs> to be writing about. Because they're not writing... The with Sam is he's never satisfied. Well, he's, he's, so, he's, 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 very hungry, he's a very hungry man. <laughs> but if they're writing your stuff, it's less likely they're, they're going to write the other side's stuff. However, that does sometimes lead to people making stuff up on the hoof or coming up with policy announcements which aren't the best thing. So I think it is a good thing. Is it sustainable? Well, they might be right. I, I fully admit that I'm part of the old guard and I could be completely wrong. I hope they do manage to change the rules of politics, but nature hates a vacuum. Well, but let's, uh, let's move on. But if, if we haven't done enough uh, kicking of MPs, Suzanne, you, you want to uh, cast an eye over one MP in particular. Yeah, but uh, my point is that MPs fume about the public perception they're out of touch. They don't like being called out of touch. And then they prove it by appointing to the Justice Select Committee a married man who committed adultery with rent boys, offered to pay for hard drugs and is currently under investigation by the Parliamentary Standards Committee. I am, of course, talking about Keith Vaz. I think this is probably one of the most shocking... Uh, scandals to hit Parliament, actually, uh, in, 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 in recent months. I mean, just what are MPs thinking about? Um, and I kind of also assumed that it would be the Labour MPs that for, just because they wanted somebody that to have their someone from their party on the select committee rallied round. But no, it was Tory MPs who were actually whipped and turned up to put this man in this seat. I just I just think it's staggering. And my Facebook page, if that's anything to go by, shows that what Parliament has done is completely out of touch with what people think. People are horrified. One, one, one person, Dushant Patel, said, what next? Anjum Chowdhury as head of state security? <laughs> you know, uh, John White. <laughs> they really have, about the, they uh, have no morals. They have no morals, no sense of justice. This would be so much better cleaning out the whole of Parliament. People really don't like this kind of thing. They see a member of Parliament who has misbehaved. And of course, with Keith Baz, it's not just this one-off instant with, with the drugs and the rent boys. There's a whole long list uh, of, of uh, a sleazy uh, allegations against him where he's been suspended from Parliament. There was the, the passport scandal with, with the Hinduja brothers. Uh, there's a whole list of donations and jobs that he's failed to declare. Claire, and they're putting this guy in judgment over our justice department. It, it is frankly beyond belief, brings Parliament into disrepute. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. And quite rightly. Now, of course, we should point out these are all allegations. Uh, Keith Faust hasn't been um, charged with anything. But it is interesting how the it was those allegations about involving the Went Boy as to why he stood down as chairman of the Home Affairs Select Committee. So instead, he's, uh, he's moved across to the Justice Committee instead. Sam, what do you make of all of this? I think it's difficult to put um, to have somebody appointed to a position while they're under investigation. Mm. And I think that you've got two conflicting things here. You've got the fact that there is a parliamentary process to elect somebody, which is why he's ended up on the Justice Select Committee. But I think that it would have been better, uh, from all sides of concerned, if he hadn't stood and he wasn't voted in, because there is this uncertainty on what is, as Suzanne rightly says, an extremely high-profile case that raises an extraordinary amount of emotion and does bring into question conflicts of interest. Now, the thing about Keith Faz is that he might have stood down from the Home Affairs Select Committee as chair, but he's still got his tentacles all over the Westminster establishment. He is on Labour's ruling body, the National Executive Committee. He still wants to be chair next year of Labour's ruling National Executive Committee. Don't know whether he'll succeed or not. He has done endless numbers of people endless numbers of favours not in a bad way just in a way that he's actually quite skilled and effective as a political operator that's why he's still there but the corollary of that the downside of that is that people outside of Westminster probably rightly look at somebody like him and wonder how on earth can you survive given the headlines that they saw that where the issues aren't aren't really resolved because we're still in the middle of, in, of various investigations and that he can be returned to a job of um, scrutinising the executive and I think that um, the, if if there is a perception, probably rightly, that he has got where he is because he's done lots of favours to lots of people that, that, that aren't terribly transparent, then that makes people uncomfortable. And I think that's where we are, really. Paul, earlier on, Sam said never underestimate... No, never overestimate the spine of an MP. You should never underestimate Keith Vaz's ability to slide through whatever uh, is thrown at him and to sort of end up back on top. Quite. I, I'm just amazed no-one pulled him into a dark room and said, look, mate, you just need to go quiet for a while. Stay out of the limelight, but this doesn't look good right now. And I'm sure a lack of discipline in the Labour Party. Depressingly, I think there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is that Jeremy Corbyn sits on the NEC and has the potential, because he can, as it were, swing both ways on the NEC, he can help Jeremy Corbyn. So what has been absolutely noticeable is the silence from Team Corbyn about all the stuff around Keith Vaz. And it's quite helpful to him to have the implicit backing for if you don't condemn, you're implicitly backing of the party leader. And I think a lot of the a, a, a lot of it flows from that. He's got the tacit agreement to keep going with what he wants to do uh, in Parliament from the leader of the Labour Party. And I think that's the starting point for what people are saying. And if they are uncomfortable because they're not sure that 
um, Keith giving additional backing to Jeremy is the right reason for him going on the Justice Select Committee, well, they're probably right to feel uncomfortable about that. But oddly, I'd put Keith Flowers in the list of people who actually get things done, rightly or wrongly. In, in some cases, they might not be the right things to do, but at least he's an incredibly active MP, unlike maybe the bottom 100 who do not very much, as far as I can tell. He's an unusual one that he's controversial while being active. You know, it's just uh, swings and roundabouts. It's, it's, it sounds to me like what you're what you're saying, Sam, is really you know politics and getting on in politics. It's not about how good a job you do or how hard you work for your constituents. It's about who you cosy up to, who are your cronies, whose back you're prepared to watch, even if it doesn't deserve to be watched. You know, once again, it's 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 everything, everything. But before I, I, actually, and that, actually, and, the pecu- that, and, that, and that is as bad as it sounds. And yes. actually, the peculiar thing about. Keith Vaz, well, one of the peculiar things about Keith Vaz is actually he is an incredibly hard-working constituency MP. You know, he was hanging Leicester City f- flags out of his office window and mentioning it every single day. Is that hard work? Is that difficult to mention your favourite football he, club? But he would be seen as Mr. You know, he is seen as Mr. Leicester in Leicester and in Parliament. So he's and he's incredibly when he was chairman of the Home Affairs Select Committee, he was incredibly successful. He was one of the few who actually would generate news and hold ministers of account. But with that comes this this background of being the sort of incredible operator. But isn't that why we should bring in the, <clears throat> the sorts of reforms that Suzanne talks about, about having proper recall of MPs? If he is Mr. Leicester, then if people are outraged by his behaviour, then let him defend himself more publicly. And I think we voted to leave the EU. One of the main reasons that we did that was because people wanted to bring power back to the UK. Now that it's come back to the UK, power has to be dispersed down to the people. People are disillusioned. We're seeing that right across the world. Sadly, these kind of deals in Westminster to allow someone to go on just smell really, really badly and it puts people off politics, which is a bad thing for the country. Mm-hmm. And we need to find better systems of accountability. In an age when you get to vote every week for your favourite politician on Strictly Come Dancing, it's, a, it's crazy you only get to vote for them once every five years to represent you on things that really, really matter. I think that's an important point there that we should all carry on voting to keep Ed Balls in uh, <laughs> Strictly. Uh, right, let's move on. Uh, Paul, because um, we've sort of already touched on it a bit, but let's move on to uh, what you want to talk about. The Remain campaign warned that a Leave vote would put a bomb under the British economy. In fact, it actually blew up the political establishment. Most major political leaders either stood down or were challenged. There is a huge political shift coming. The leader who best appeals to working class voters could radically reshape our country's politics. So Paul, you were involved in the uh, the Vote Leave campaign. Did you, at what point did you think you might win? Um, the turn of the year. Beginning we, of this year. Beginning yeah. of this year we started to think. The levels of enthusiasm on our side were just so much higher and the government's renegotiation was starting to hit the skids and from February onwards it looked like they were going to be up against it to persuade people that they'd got a good deal. And so that gave us hope. But look, we were it was kind of like watching your team 1-0 up in an FA Cup final in the last couple of weeks. We thought we were ahead, but we were racked with doubt and knew we could lose it at any minute. That's the best way to describe it. In fact, what, ironically what happened was the Vote Leave campaign, uh, which eventually won, was racked with doubt, whereas the Remain campaign was, for a large time, completely convinced that they were going to win uh, comfortably, and obviously that's not how things panned out. I think that was part of their problem all along. There was an arrogance of power. They believed that because they pulled together a coalition of the most powerful people in the world and everyone agreed with them, listen to the experts, they said. Well, actually, people didn't want to. And that was that was their big... You're not another one of these non-believers and experts. No, 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 but I'm just saying that they literally <laughs> put that on their advert, yeah. right? We did listen to some experts. We had brilliant data scientists and physicists helping to do really great stuff for us, which was which I think will help change the way we do politics in the country in terms of uh, the science of political campaigning. We did listen to some experts. But I just think trying to say, look, here's all loads of really powerful people like President Obama, the head of WTO, head of IMF, just do as they say. People didn't want that anymore. You know, they had this huge coalition 
and that gave them a lot of comfort that everyone from the head of the Green Party to Labour Party was backing them. But actually, people rejected the whole lot. Uh, let's fast forward then. So you, you talked about how every leader was either challenged or yeah. ousted, with the exception of Tim Farron. I think he's uh, Tim Farron. Yeah, he's clung on unchallenged as far as we're aware. Very there may true. have been a challenge, but nobody noticed. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you expect that sort of domino effect afterwards? Weirdly, most of the cabinet ministers who were supporting us carried on insisting until about a week before that David Cameron wouldn't have to resign. But we obviously fully expected that if we won, David Cameron would go. I didn't expect Labour to challenge Jeremy Corbyn so quickly, but I guess with hindsight it was inevitable. I think the, the key point here is that actually you've got now a massive change happening in, across global politics. If you look at how the polls are shifting, look at America as well, that actually what you're seeing is a shift, particularly the people that Theresa May is targeting, and this should be of concern to Suzanne, is that it's basically people who are economically quite left-wing but socially quite right-wing, basically small-C, traditional, working-class conservatives. And what you're seeing is basically the whole nature of politics shift in a way. And I think that the Tory right now has an opportunity to go after working-class voters that it hasn't been able to for perhaps a generation or two. And if they get that right, I think Theresa May could go on to be a great prime minister. If UKIP get their act together and elect either Suzanne or Paul Nuttall and really go after these people, then I think actually they they could maybe unseat Labour as the opposition party. And I think that's the really interesting shift going in, in British politics. Suzanne, I think this is the point where you give us your party political broadcast for <laughs> your uh, your bid to be UKIP leader. Shall I do that? Go on Great. then, quickly. Yeah, no, well, I, I, I think I'm the best person for the job. I think as Paul well, says... Well, everyone I says think, that. Like, I think how can you... Cause the you reason, haven't given me two seconds the point, to start yet. Well, because you, it's because you started with a platitude. I know, but Paul... Give <laughs> <laughs> me two seconds Paul, for it. Journalists can break their promises. <laughs> Paul, Paul makes this point about how there is this sort of huge chunk of the electorate, if you like, and actually a, a new electorate, people who hadn't voted or for a long time or had never voted before. They're all sort of up for the taking how how could you in your your ukip yeah we always do them? particularly well among people who actually don't vote people who haven't voted for years don't see the point can't be bothered they actually recognize in ukip here's a party that really does speak up for them and i think what i liked about the manifesto that i wrote is it appealed to both left and right uh, i've had attacks on me this week by both the times and the guardian which i reckon they must think i must be capable of bringing home both tory and labor voters and we we can you know i think our first job primarily has got to be to get us out of the european union uh, Paul is probably well aware. I think there is a bit of an establishment plot to try and keep us in. Uh, all these MPs that want another vote, these activist lawyers that are trying to bring court cases. I make no apology for saying, you know, my first campaign as leader will be to repeal the 1972 European Communities Act so we get out straight away. Article 50 is a European Union construct that is just going to lead us uh, into an, and push it into the long grass forever, really. I think the Tories are already reverting to type. Theresa May has shown herself already to be a very corporatist PM. Uh, she will give in to big businesses, I think. I don't think she'll bring the tax reforms that we need. I don't think she'll bring the economic reforms that, that we need. I think interest rates are still going to stay low, creating that housing bubble, stopping people being able to get on the housing ladder. And she's already talked about expanding government. She's very big state. You know, UKIP's a party of small state. We want better services for less money so we can cut people's tax and council tax, not keep ratcheting, ratcheting it up by this expanding job creation machine for the already wealthy and elite. Now, Sam, part of the problem is that people hate the idea of politicians being in hock to business up until the point when Nissan might shut down their factory in the North East and suddenly they quite like the idea of government intervention to, to make sure those jobs stay. Absolutely. One of the dangers at the moment is that you get a conflict between 
some of the kind of hardline political stances that can sound quite appealing and the kind of reality of nitty-gritty negotiation. I mean, we're still at the very early stages of this, but you know, we'll have to see how it pans out. And how do you see the UKIP leadership contest panning out if Suzanne might have to cover her ears? I'm not watching it closely enough to come very to a good, very particularly <laughs> well it might be well, look, I think but I mean I do think look you know we've talked about accountability we've talked about democracy disillusion disengagement we've done some pretty weighty things in this podcast for once um, <laughs> um, so just one one kind of thought to sort of bring that all together maybe we should just wrap this all up and have a um, kind of TripAdvisor style website for MPs and peers because that way you could have star ratings reviews trusted content it could be interactive it would solve all of the problems that we've all brought and up put nasty ex- reviews about your competitors yeah. <laughs> i think it's a great idea and like then and then all of a sudden you know keith faz two stars suzanne evans we'll see Five. people people have to vote <laughs> now suzanne um, just before we um, wind this up we should at least mark the um, sad demise of Wahim kassam from the uh, ukip leadership contest we talked about him last week the, did um, you? What did you say last week? I uh, po- po- sort of pound shop Donald Trump was probably right. the um, okay. the, uh, very the general mood, I think. Mm-hmm. But it was extraordinary. He sort of built up. He, you know, he claimed to have all this online support, and you know, he was speaking the unspeakable, and he was the new Nigel Farage. Mm-hmm. And now he's he's left because the path to victory was too narrow. This new brilliant euphemism for. I didn't think I was going to win. I, I think that's right. It's quite interesting. I think it's a comment on social media. Rahim had huge, uh, or appeared at least, to have a huge following on social media. I do wonder how many of the people liking and retweeting and putting his twibbon on are actually real people, to be no. honest. Um, but, you know, Britain is not Twitter. As, as I think people before me have famously said. And uh, he, he simply, I don't think, had the support among the members. Most of our members are not even on the internet, or they, at least they don't use it on a daily basis, let alone on, on Twitter and, and, and Facebook. Uh, so I, I, would, I would look at these polls that were set up, and he was like getting 73%. And you think, that's just, that's just, not, that's just not right. It just doesn't ring true. So now it's a straight fight between you and Paul Nussle? I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. And, I have and when, a... when does this latest quarterly UKIP leadership contest come to the end? <laughs> well, hopefully this will be, be the last one for, for, for four years, uh, with a bit of luck. Um, it will be announced on the 28th of November. We We'll know who's got the job then. Very good. Unfortunately, that's uh, all we've got time for uh, this week. Twitter might not be Britain, but you can follow us on at Times Red Box or find us on Facebook. As ever, email your thoughts to redbox at thetimes.co.uk and you can sign up to my morning Red Box email at thetimes.co.uk forward slash Red Box email. As ever, subscribe to the podcast via iTunes where you can leave your uh, interesting reviews. Uh, but for now, from Suzanne, Sam, Paul, and me, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.